Lord, today as we come into this text and we look at this seedy character we call the Antichrist, Lord, I just ask that uh, we learn the things that we need to learn, Lord, about his coming and uh, Lord and uh, the things that mark the Antichrist because there's so many Antichrists in this world right now, so many leaders of various countries, of various organizations that are against you and against your will, against your word. And Lord, sometimes we follow after those kind of people. So Lord, we want to learn about the Antichrist, not because uh, we fear him, Lord, because you're so much greater than he is. He's a creation of yours, but Lord, so that we can uh, keep that kind of antichrist system out of our life, to withdraw from this world, Lord, to separate ourselves from the things that are against you. Lord, we're living in the very last days, and Lord, we want to be ready for your coming, and Lord, uh, uh, there's just all sorts of trouble brewing in the world as these various antichrists have power. So, Lord, I just ask today that you take this very important lesson and, Lord, that you uh, drill these truths into our hearts and, Lord, that you encourage us and exhort us to prepare ourselves for your very, very soon coming. I just ask that you do that. I ask that in the name of Jesus Christ. It's in his precious name that I pray. Amen. Now, last week, I told you that I would tell you today who the Antichrist is. Well, I want to tell you about a fellow. I want to start off telling you about a fellow named Emmanuel Macron. Anybody know who I'm talking about? He's the president of France, the new president of France. Last month, The Economist magazine, which is a Rothschild magazine, if you know anything about the Rothschilds, they kind of control the wealth of this world. On the cover of that magazine was a picture of Emmanuel Macron walking on water. And the subtitle to the magazine says that he is the savior of Europe. A large American paper that I don't even like to name their name out of New York City, I won't name their name because it'll make me sick, said that in an article that he will be the one who revives the European Union and in effect he will revive the Roman Empire. He's a globalist, of course. He doesn't believe in national borders. Uh, he has been groomed by the Rothschilds for the position. He just came up out of the sea, out of the sea of the population, and, and uh, nobody really knows who he is as of yet. And when Donald Trump pulled America out of the Paris Climate Agreement, uh, Macron said, don't worry about it, that he would take on the leadership himself and he would be the one who would stop climate change. And then you just look at his name, Emmanuel Macron. 
God with us, Macron. Now, is Macron the Antichrist? I don't know. He could be. He very well could be. Uh, No one knows. No one knows for sure now, other than the Lord, who the Antichrist is. Because as we learned last week, and again, if you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Thessalonians, and we'll be in chapter number 2 today. But as we learned last week, two things have to happen before the day of the Lord begins and the Antichrist is revealed. Before we know, really know for sure who he is, two things have to happen. First of all, we have to go into the age of the great apostasy where the church becomes apostate, where the church becomes just like the rest of the world. Well, the church in essence becomes antichrist against the true and living God and against his word. Well, I got news for you. As I said last week, we have entered into that age. We might not be all the way there yet but we are in the age of the apostate church. The second thing that has to happen before the Antichrist is revealed, and I'm coming right out of Second Thessalonians here, that which, was, which restrains the Antichrist from coming on the scene must be removed. Now, who restrains the Antichrist from coming on the scene? We know that that's the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit lives where? He lives in us in the true and living church. And so before the Antichrist is revealed, the church has to be removed. We, we're going to be out of here. That, which, was, that which, with, which restrains him will be removed before he is actually revealed. Now, let me give a little bit of a disclaimer here. The Holy Spirit will never totally leave this, this, this universe. I mean, this is his universe. This is his earth. God is omniscient. So he will be here during the, during the revelation, during the apocalypse, during the great tribulation. He's going to be here that whole time. But he's going to take on a different role. His role now is working within the church to save people before the great tribulation begins, to use us to help save people before the great tribulation begins. But he, he's gonna, that role's gonna be taken away or he's gonna remove himself from that role. He's gonna remove himself from the role of restraining evil and everybody's gonna be free to do whatever they want. It's gonna get really, really wicked and bad when the, when the, when the Holy Spirit takes, removes himself from that role of restraining this antichrist spirit. He's going to say, okay, you've got it now. You want to be against Christ? You want to be against God's word? Well, you've got it now. You're left with that. We won't be here when all of that happens. And during that time, we'll be out of here, but people will be saved. Because the Holy Spirit's new work on this earth, and it's it's really the same work he's doing now, but he's doing it through the church. His work will be to convict people of sin and to get people to come to Jesus Christ as their Savior. 
So that's his role now, but, but it's going to be his sole role, his role, and we're going to be gone during the great tribulation. And there are going to be people that are saved. Let me tell you what, when things get so bad, they're heading that way right now. Let me tell you what, we're, lines are being drawn in the sand. You can either go God's way or you can go the devil's way. And, and it's getting clear as black and white right now. Well, in the great tribulation, it's going to be even clearer than that. The Antichrist of this Antichrist world is going to be so evil that you're going to have to worship him and worship Satan in order to stay here, in order to not be killed. And so you're either going to choose evil or you're going to choose God. And there will be people who are saved during the great tribulation called the tribulation saints. You could call them the tribulation church and they're going to be saved. Now, if you're part of the tribulation church, I feel very sorry for you. But the church at Laodicea that we're going to see when we look in Revelation is really where the apostate church is right now on this earth. And they don't really understand the truths of this word and they really don't know God. But in that day, they'll have, they'll have a choice. They can either know God or they can know Satan. And some of them are going to come out of that apostate church. They're going to come out of that mystery Babylon church. They're going to come out of that one world church and they're going to seek the Lord. But it's going to be tough. It's going to be really, really tough. If you're left here, when I'm raptured out of here, it's going to be really, really tough even if you get saved. If you're left here, it's because you're not saved. But you might get saved. But if you, but if you get saved, you're going to go through the great tribulation. There will be Christians who go through the great tribulation. Now, let's look at verse number 8. We're in chapter number 2, verse number 8. Okay, those two things happen. And, and then, verse number 8, the lawless one, that's the Antichrist, will be revealed. And then the world goes into the great tribulation. But hey, don't fear. At the end of seven years, the Lord will consume him, look at this, with the breath of his mouth and destroy him with the brightness of his coming. By his glory, he'll destroy all of this evil. By his breath, by his word, he will destroy the Antichrist. He'll destroy, he'll put Satan into the pit. Now, I got to tell you, we live in really exciting times, if you're a born-again believer. Very exciting times. Just about everyone in this world realizes that the world as we know it is about to change. It's about to end. So there's all sorts of speculation as to who the Antichrist is and where he will come from. Macron is, is, is a possibility, certainly a possibility. Some say that the Antichrist will come out of Russia. He'll come out of Russia. I remember after I first got saved, there were a lot of people who were saying that Gorbachev was the Antichrist and he had that mark on his head. And there was a guy I used to, Listen to on the radio. He had a program called The Bible Answer Man. I wouldn't listen to that program now, but back then they had a really good guy in that program, Walter Martin. I don't know if you all are familiar with Walter Martin. Walter Martin is a Southern Baptist preacher, and Southern Baptist preachers never talk about visions and dreams and tongues or anything like that, but he said he had a vision. And in that vision, he saw that mark on Gorbachev's head turn into 666. You can take the letters of the name Mikhail Gorbachev and you can put Hebrew, Hebrew 
numbers on those names and total the number, the Hebrew numerical value of the letters of his name, and you will come up with six, six, six. Well, Gorbachev is still on the scene. He might pop up there at any day, you know. He's getting awful old to be an antichrist, but there's no age limit on it. I guess I don't, I don't think he's the antichrist, but you can understand how, the, how people could see that the antichrist might come out of Russia. Because when you read Ezekiel 38 and 39, and we'll be looking at that when we're in the book of Revelation, that looks like the battle of Armageddon. And who leads that battle? It's a Russian, it's a Russian leader and a Russian army along with a federation of Muslim armies that come against Israel. So that's a possibility that the Antichrist could be Russian. I don't think he is, and I'm going to show you why here in just a bit. Others say that the Antichrist is going to come out of Israel. And the Israelis today, the Orthodox Jew, they are all expecting the Messiah to return at any moment. And they're not looking for Jesus Christ. They already killed him. So that's not the Messiah they're looking for. They're looking for what they think is their Messiah, the true Messiah, although Jesus Christ was the true Messiah. They still don't see that. So they're looking for the Messiah to come and, and uh, they're right for deception. There's no doubt they're right for deception. So there's a lot of Jews who believe that in this coming Messiah and those who, who look at that from the outside say, if their Messiah does come, he will be antichrist. He will be the antichrist. Some Christian scholars believe that the antichrist will come out of Israel and they base that upon Daniel 11. So I want you to flip back and, and I want you to hang in Daniel for a little bit. And I, I, you can kind of keep your place in 2 Thessalonians and we'll go back and forth between Daniel here for just a minute. So, so hang there in Daniel. But if you look in Daniel chapter 11, Go all the way, and this is, I'm not going to give you all the background of that chapter because it leads up from several chapters, but this is talking about the Antichrist. That's what I can tell you, and, and, and I'm not taking this out of context. If you go to Daniel chapter 11, look down at verse number 37. Daniel 11:37. Watch what it says there about the Antichrist. He shall neither he shall regard neither the God of his fathers, now watch this, nor the desire of women. That's kind of a strange thing. That gives you an indication that he very well might be a homosexual. He does not regard, uh, he does not have uh, regard the, uh, des, or does not have a desire for women. I, I, that's a possibility. Uh, but here's what I want you to look at. He says, nor does he regard any God for he shall exalt himself above all. He will declare himself to be God. Which, when you go back to Second uh, Thessalonians, you can look at verse number four and that's exactly what Paul says in that verse. But this is what I want to look at. He shall regard neither the God of his fathers. Now when he's speaking here of the God of his fathers, who is he speaking of? Who, who is Daniel speaking of? Or who is the who is this prophecy speaking of? This is an interpretation that was given to Daniel. What's, what's that prophecy speaking of? 
It's speaking of Jehovah God. He shall not regard Jehovah God. So you, so you have this, this antichrist who doesn't regard the God of his fathers. And if his father, that's the God of the Jews. So it kind of indicates that he might be a, a, a Jewish Messiah. But you can also use that to, ref, to as, as proof that he could be a, come out of a Christian background because we also worship Jehovah God. He's the God of our fathers. And so it really can't make the case that he's a Jewish Messiah from this verse. But I want you to see that because people make that, that say he's a Jewish Messiah use that verse to make their case. Personally, I don't think he is going to be a Jew. I don't believe for a minute he's going to be a Jew. Because this guy from the very beginning, and I'm not going to go through all the passages, he hates Jews. He pretends to like Jews, but he hates Jews. And he forces them into this very bad peace agreement. Does that sound familiar? Isn't that what leaders are trying to do today? But he forces them into this seven-year treaty, and in the middle of the treaty, he breaks that treaty, and he makes war against Israel. So he, he's anti-Semitic, so I just don't think he, it's, the Antichrist is going to be Jewish. And I'll tell you the biggest reason I don't think he's going to be Jewish is because the world will love the Antichrist. They will absolutely love him. And what do they think about Jews? They hate Jews. So I don't believe he's going to be, I don't believe he's going to be a Jew. Well, in my lifetime, there's been a lot of American presidents who have been labeled as the Antichrist. John Kennedy, I can remember, I wouldn't even say, but I remember people talking about him, he might be the Antichrist. And then when he was shot in the head, people who thought he was the Antichrist said, oh, you just wait and see. He's, about, he's, gonna, he's, gonna, he's gonna be revived and he's gonna come up out of the grave and, and all the world's gonna worship him. Well, I'll tell you what, if he came up out of the grave today, everybody would worship him. I, I don't think John Kennedy's the Antichrist but he was considered the Antichrist. Remember when George Bush started talking about a new world order, a one world order. A lot of people were saying that George Bush might very well be the Antichrist. And then when Obama came on the scene, of our favorite guy, Obama, when Obama came on the scene and the papers and magazines in Europe were proclaiming him to be the Messiah, then a lot of people thought that Obama might be the Antichrist. I've even heard people say that Trump might be the Antichrist. So, look, I don't rule out the possibility that the Antichrist could be an American president. I think that's quite possible. You read the description in in of mystery Babylon in Revelation 17 and 18 and the destruction of that city, it sounds a lot like the destruction of New York City. It sounds like, because this place is the center of world trade. And when it's destroyed, all the ships and all the people look out upon the city and they see the smoke rising from the city. Remember during 9-11, you could see that smoke rising from the city and they mourn and they weep because they made all of their money off of this this country that became this great traitor against God. They once were a godly country and they became a traitor against God. Now, it very well could be that, that uh, an American uh, could be the Antichrist. 
because even if you believe in the revival Roman Empire, because we, most of us, are descendants of people who have come from the Roman Empire. We're they're our ancestors, and so so that's a possibility. But let me tell you, tell you talk a little bit about the most popular view of the Antichrist. Uh, about who the Antichrist is today. And that is that he's going to be a Muslim. A lot of people believe that we're going to have a Muslim Antichrist. There's a video you can go online and watch by John MacArthur. It's about a five or six minute video. And he names, he, he doesn't name the name of the Antichrist, but he says he is certain that the Antichrist will be the Muslim Mahdi. Have you heard about the Muslim Mahdi? He's like their savior. He's like their Messiah. And they expect him to come on the scene at any moment. Uh, people, some, their past presidents have gotten up before the UN and spoke about the Mahdi, the light of the Mahdi. And guess who the Mahdi prophet is going to be? His prophet is going to be none other, they believe, uh, none other than Jesus Christ. And so uh, there will, if things transpire the way they say they're going to transpire. The Mahdi's going to come to rule this earth and, he, and the Jesus Christ is going to come with him and Jesus Christ is going to denounce Christianity as it's taught in the, in our, in the 66 books of the Bible that we have and he's going to say, look, you guys have got this all wrong. Allah is God. Worship Allah. And if you don't worship Allah, then we're going to chop your head off and you deserve it. And all that stuff about me dying on a cross for your sins is a bunch of baloney, so don't believe that. Uh, worship Allah, worship this Antichrist, and uh, uh, you'll, be, you'll be spared. And, you know, you look at the current state of affairs in the world, and that looks like it's quite possible that the Antichrist could be a Muslim because they're trying to... They're trying to take over the world as we speak and set up a caliphate, which is a one world order with a one world leader and invoke Sharia law. And then you read those passages in Revelation where they're taken off heads and that certainly sounds familiar, doesn't it? That's just what we're seeing on the news today. The Muslims who are taking power and implementing Sharia law, those who don't submit or they're losing their heads and that's exactly what they would do if they took over this world. They would remove your head if you proclaimed to be uh, a Christian. Or if you didn't follow Sharia law, they would remove your head. But the, certainly the church would stand up against that, wouldn't he? Is that right? You know, you're hearing all sorts of people in all sorts of denominations today saying that, hey, we worship the same God. We all are brothers and sisters of the same creator. We all worship the same God. The Pope had a meeting this past week with one of the uh, most important imams in the world. And the imam congratulated the Pope because the Pope has been declaring that uh, Islam is a religion of peace. Islam, oh, no, you're wrong. Islam is a religion of peace. Peace through submission. The word Islam means submission. It, it, they will have peace on this earth if they ever take control, but on their terms, based upon their terms. 
and based upon worshiping their God and it'll be a terrible place to be. I'll be glad I'm not here if somehow the Antichrist is a Muslim. But you gotta be careful about letting current events depict your interpretation of prophecy. A lot of people do that. I mean, I remember when, when the Iraq war was going on, how people were grabbing pop, prophecies out of Jeremiah and saying, this is the end, you know, this is what, what was prophesied in Jeremiah. Or, uh, like I said, when George Bush was president, he started talking about a new world order. Then everybody said, you know, he's the Antichrist. Uh, when the European Union was formed and, well, they hit those ten nations, that's it. The Antichrist, whoever, whoever rules those ten nations, he's the Antichrist. Well, now it's, you know, I don't, they got 30 or so nations that are part of the European Union. So that doesn't fit into Daniel. So, you got to be careful about letting news or current events dictate your view of prophecy, what should dictate our view of prophecy or our beliefs about prophecy? The Bible should dictate our beliefs about prophecy. And, and there are a, here's, here's the problem. There are a lot of antichrist in this world. If you, if you go back to 2 Thessalonians and look at verse number 7, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work in this world. The mystery of the Antichrist is already here. Listen, there are all sorts of people who are Antichrist. There are a lot of Antichrist. But the final word about who the Antichrist is, you're not going to find it in the newspaper. The only place you can even get an inclination of what it is, is in the Bible. And I'm not going to get into this in detail today. But if you were to go back and begin a study about the Great Tribulation, and you, the place to begin is in Daniel. And if you were to go back to Daniel chapter 2, where, where, Daniel, where Nebuchadnezzar has those dreams of these empires that, uh, that uh, exist throughout history, and when Daniel interprets that dream, the last empire is made of iron and clay. Iron we know from the rest of Daniel to be the Roman Empire. The clay, it's a mixture of iron and clay, means it's a mixture of the nations that are loosely held together uh, that made up the Roman Empire. So I believe that the Antichrist is going to come out of the revived Roman Empire. And I believe that for several reasons. Let me show you one. Let me just show you one verse. If you're still in Daniel... Go to Daniel chapter number 9. Go back a couple of chapters. If you don't believe in prophecy, if you're here today and you kind of wonder, man, you know, these guys really couldn't predict the future. Let me tell you what you do. You take Daniel chapter 9. And I want you to do a study. If you, if you want to do a detailed study, sort of a detailed study, get the tape from Wednesday night when we were in Daniel chapter 9 and listening to it. But there's the most amazing prophecy you've ever seen right here in Daniel chapter 9. And it's a prophecy where Daniel prophesied the very day, the very day that Jesus would come into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. To the very day. And you can calculate it. 70 weeks are determined. 70 weeks or 70 periods of sevens. Seventy weeks, are, it's periods of sevens. So it can be years, it can be weeks. That Greek, Hebrew word there means a period of sevens. 
It could be, uh, it could be years, it could be months, it could be centuries, it could be weeks, it could be days. But 70 weeks are determined. And so you can calculate, and I'm not going to get into the whole process, but you can calculate to the very day that Jesus comes into Jerusalem by looking at that prophecy. And again, if you want to do a study of that, I say grab the tape from, from the book of Daniel. But here's where I want to pick up. Look at verse number 26. And after 62 of these seven periods, these seven weeks, Messiah shall be cut off. Now, Messiah is being cut off. What does that mean? What are we talking about? What event is Daniel speaking of there? He's speaking of the crucifixion. So after, and after the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off. But you want to hear the gospel in four little words, but not for himself. He will die, but not for himself. Who did he die for? He died for me. He died for you so that we could have eternal life, so that we could be holy as he's holy, so that we could live forever with him, but not for himself. Now watch this carefully. There's a really important prophecy built into this part of verse number 26. And to the, and the people of the prince who is to come. Now he's talking about the Antichrist here. He's talking about the people of the Antichrist shall destroy the city, Jerusalem, and the sanctuary, which he's speaking of the temple here. Who's going to destroy the temple and who's going to destroy the, the, the uh, city of Jerusalem? The people of the prince who is to come. The people of the Antichrist. They're, they're the, he's going to come out of the people who destroy Jerusalem and destroy the temple. Who destroyed Jerusalem and who destroyed the temple? Well, in 70 AD, if you, if you know anything about biblical history, you know that just a short period after, of time after Jesus was crucified, that the city and the temple were destroyed by who? The Romans. The Roman general Titus came in and he destroyed Jerusalem. Over a million Jews were killed and he burnt the temple down to the ground. If you were to go to Jerusalem today and look at uh, the, the, the Wailing Wall, that you would be looking at what remains of that temple that the Romans destroyed back in 70 A.D. So that's a clear reference there that the Antichrist has to come from the Roman people. Now, who are the Roman people? Well, the Roman people would be the revived Roman Empire, this empire of iron and clay that we have in the last days. And that's why I'm convinced that the Antichrist will come out of Europe and he will lead this revived Roman government and it will be centered in the very city of Rome. If you've been to Rome, you know it's got the seven hills. Read about Rome. Read about the city that's destroyed, this great city of the Antichrist in Revelation 17 and 18. And it is a vivid description. Like I said earlier, it looks kind of like New York City. But it also looks like uh, the, what, the city that will be the center of the world during the uh, Great Tribulation. And I believe that's the city of Rome. Now, does that mean the Muslim, that a Muslim couldn't be an Antichrist? Well, if the Muslims take over Europe, 
and they set up their caliphate in Rome, then they certainly could be, he, the, a Muslim certainly could be the Antichrist. There are all sorts of possibilities. That's why it's so hard to figure out who he is. Could he be an American or an American president? He certainly could. I mean, we're the most powerful country on earth, and it might be the one day that we get a government in here. We, we had a lady that was running for president who said that there should be no borders. And it might be one day that that, that actually happens. We, we were that close to it. I mean, it was almost a miracle that that didn't happen. And uh, if she had had her way, and I'm not picking on Hillary here. I love her to death. But if she had had her way, you might want to take that off the tape, David, when you hear this. I don't want to be lying here in church. But if she had had her way, if she had gotten elected and had her way, we would have this one world government that everybody's so excited about. And it very well could be that an American president would be the one who would lead that government. It could be somebody who positions himself in the UN as president of the UN. And then this, this uh, rapture takes place and the Holy Spirit is removed and all, all that's left is, are wicked people. There's nothing to restrain his coming. And, and that person is moved to Rome and the thing is set up in Rome and the revived Roman Empire really becomes this one world government with this one world religion. And uh, you, don't, you don't want to be here. I'm telling you, you don't want to be here. Look, we don't know for sure who the Antichrist is. When we know for sure, we'll be at the wedding supper of the Lamb. That's where I'll be. If you're here, you know, you're going to know for sure too because I've told you enough, you'll know for sure it's him. If you're here and you're not the wedding supper of the lamb, God bless you. you. You're in trouble. You're in deep trouble. But there are, there's a reason Paul gives us this information. And now let's go back to 2 Thessalonians. Because we still can unmask this man to a point. And, and he, has a, he has a purpose in unmasking this man to a point. Because as he says in verse number 7, go to chapter 2, look at first, verse number 7. And he says, for the mystery of lawlessness is, lawlessness is already at work in this world. So Antichrist are already gone out into this world. That's what John says in First John. There, there are many Antichrists. And so we need to recognize these antichrists, these, these uh, false Christians, false uh, teachers, these people who are against Christ. We need to recognize these people while we're still here because we're going to have to deal with them. And, and let's look at some of these identifying marks that he gives us of the antichrist. First of all, let's drop back to verse number four. Drop back to verse number four. He's, at some point, he's going to come to the temple and he will declare himself to be God. Look at that. He, he opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worship. And he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Let me tell you something. I listen to some politicians and some presidents of the United States even 
who have put themselves above God and the things of God, and they oppose the things of God. That person is antichrist. The antichrist is going to be easy to spot, but people are still going to be duped. What he speaks of here in verse number four is what David and Daniel and Jesus, not David, but Daniel and Jesus call the abomination of desolations. And that's when after uh, this seven-year peace agreement is made at the end of three and a half years, in the middle of the very middle of this peace agreement, the Antichrist comes into the temple. He declares himself to be God, and uh, Israel refuses to worship him. So he ends the agreement, peace agreement with Israel, and he attacks uh, the Israelites. And there's this Holocaust against Israelites, against Jews, and against Christians, like there have never been in the history of this earth, worse than anything Hitler ever did. Look, when any leader sets himself up against God and God's word, that leader is antichrist. I don't care if he's a Republican or if he's a Democrat or if he's an independent or if he's French or if he's American or if he's English or whatever. When they set themselves up against God, they are antichrist. A politician who promotes the murder of unborn babies is anti-Christ. A politician who embraces sodomy is anti-Christ. A politician who proclaims himself or desires for this one world order where there's a nation, where there's a world without borders, where nations don't have borders, that person is anti-Christ. And we're foolish and wrong to support those kind of people. Man, who would want to vote for an antichrist? You might as well be here worshiping the antichrist. Who would support someone who is antichrist? And that what, that what, what bothers me a lot about the apostate church and about a lot of the organized churches. We get on board with these guys who do things that are in direct opposition to God. They are anti-Christ. Now, the second thing we know about the antichrist, about all antichrists, you don't have to fear them. You don't have to fear them. Uh, look at the last part of verse number eight where we picked up today. Look at what he says in the last part of verse number eight. He says, the Lord will consume him with the breath of his mouth and destroy him with the brightness of his coming. You know, the Antichrist can't even stand in the presence of God without being in his glory, without being destroyed. He's destroyed by the very word of the Lord. And that's why the Bible says, he who is in you is greater than he who is in this world. We worry too much about Politicians, we worry too much about antichrist. We worry too much about those people who are against God because they can't harm us unless God allows them to harm us. So we have nothing to fear. We have Christ in us. The very one who will destroy the antichrist with his glory at his coming lives in you. So what do you have to fear? You have nothing to fear. But that doesn't mean now that the Antichrist is not going to have special gift and powers. Look at verses 9 and 10. He says, the coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan. He's going to be possessed 
by Satan. The Antichrist will. And I wonder about some of the Antichrist that we already see in the world. If they're not sometimes possessed by Satan, they are so wickedly evil, so deceptive, wickedly deceptive was the word I was looking for there, that they can fool just about anybody except the elect, unless you're a child of God. When I see, again, when I see a Christian chasing after some politician who is antichrist, I wonder if they're a Christian at all. Because the elect can, can't be fooled by this de deceptive spirit of the antichrist. We know better than that. He says the coming of the lawless was, is according, according to the work, working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish. Who's deceived by Antichrist and Antichrist? Those who are going to perish. If you're a born-again believer, you're not going to be deceived by this Antichrist spirit. Every Antichrist works and operates with the power of Satan. And that's why you see some Antichrist that can do some really powerful things. That's why you see these people come out of the sea as the Bible speaks. They come up out of nowhere. Then all of a sudden they're, they're president of a nation, somebody who's never had a job. They're, they can be a leader. I mean, Macron is an example of that. He's worked for a bank that groomed him to be the president of France. That's scary stuff. And so there, Satan has that power. And, and uh, he's going to be able to fool a lot of people except, the, except those who are not perishing, those who are born again. Look, the Antichrist is going to be so easy to spot, it's going to be unbelievably easy. I mean, he's going to be so wicked, it's going to be beyond imagination how wicked he is. He's going to be this man of peace. He's going to be this charming man. He's going to be, he's going to be something really special. He's going to have all sorts of powers. He's going to be able to do these miracles. But he's going to be easy to spot. Because, because how, how, why is he going to be easy to spot? Because he's opposed to God and he's opposed to God's word. Look at verse number 10, right along those lines. Look at what he says. Because they did not receive the love of the truth. Why, why, why are people deceived? Because they did not receive the love of the truth. The love of the gospel the love of God's word, that they might be saved. Whose fault is it? It's their fault. The word of God is a gift. It's a gift from God to mankind. It's a gift to all of us. It's given to us to save us by grace. I mean, and all we have to do is receive the gift. That's all we have to do to be saved. And verse number 11, and for this reason, God will send them strong delusion, a strong delusion that they should believe the lie. Man, that's really troubling to me. God will send them a strong delusion that they shall believe the lie. That they may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Instead of loving light, they loved darkness. Why would God send a strong delusion so that people would believe a lie? 
and be condemned forever to hell. Why would God do that? Well, Paul tells us, look back at this passage, because they refuse the truth. They refuse the truth about the gospel. And here's the truth about the gospel. God is holy and we are unholy. And without holiness, you will not see God. You will not go to heaven. You have to be made holy because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that we could be made holy. He gave him on a cross to die for our sins so that we could be made holy and live in a relationship with God forever. But mankind, for the most part, has rejected that gift because they love darkness. And look at the last part of the verse, because they take pleasure in unrighteousness. You know, God wants his children to have pleasure. You know, you can't imagine how much pleasure God wants you to have. He wants nothing but goodness, good things for your life. He is a good God a loving God. He wants to prosper you. He has good plans for you, but not unrighteous plans, not plans for you to do evil. Look, we know what's evil. We know what's good. God has given us all a conscience. We know that evil is destructive. We know that it's bad, but for some reason, people love evil. They have a choice and they love evil. They choose to do evil. They choose to go against God's word. They choose to live in sin. And that's on them. And so here we are at the end of the days and God's going to separate the goats from the sheep. And so he sends this delusion, this antichrist for everybody who wants to do unrighteousness, they're going to love this guy because he's going to support their evil ways and they're going to love him. And so what God is doing here, he's sending this delusion to demonstrate his justice by revealing the hearts of men. Mankind is so wicked that when they're given a choice between God and Christ and the devil and the Antichrist, you know who they choose? The devil and Antichrist. Even today, we chase after, as human beings, we chase after antichrist stuff and antichrist. And to demonstrate the justice of God, God sends us delusions. He will send us people who will ratify our behavior and make us think it's okay when it's not okay and we're heading for condemnation, we're heading for hell. Listen to me. When we love and support godless politicians, charlatan TV preachers, wicked athletes, evil movie stars, satanic rock stars, all these people who are against the Lord and then we emulate their ways, 
We're in effect making a choice. We're making a choice to choose antichrist over Christ. And in the process, we're condemning ourselves to hell. And I got to tell you, friends, as believers, we are choosing a lot of antichrist. And we're not condemning ourselves to hell, thank goodness for the grace of God, but we're condemning ourselves to failure and misery and a wicked life, a life of a loser. God didn't intend us to be losers. You know, and I, got, I tell you, I think Christians are some of the most deluded people in the world. We're some of the most deluded people in the world. Just like some of the, we're like some of the Biblical characters like Saul. Man, he was so deluded. I mean, God had made him king of Israel. And, and yet he couldn't get this thing right because he had this antichrist spirit. And where did he end up? He ended up dealing with witches and demons. And he was condemned. Judas. Man, think of this. Judas. You think maybe he thought he was a Christian? I mean, he was one of the 12. I mean, he was following Christ right there with Christ. But he deluded himself. He deluded himself into thinking he was saved when he was nothing more than an antichrist. And full of demons, possessed by Satan when he betrayed the Lord. We need to be careful. We're not deluded too. And I'll tell you what, when the rapture comes... When the rapture comes, if you're deluding yourself, you're going to be left behind. You're going to be left behind. And then when the Antichrist comes on the scene, more likely you're going to be duped by this guy. You're going to be fooled. You're going to love him like the rest of the world. You're going to, be con you're going to believe his lies and you're going to be condemned forever. That's some scary stuff. But it's all true. As I said earlier, we, we're all guilty to some degree of following after the things of the Antichrist. We're all guilty of idolatry. But let me tell you something. I believe this with all my heart. The day of the Lord is very rapidly approaching. We need to get ready. We need to be ready. We need to rid ourselves of our idols because idols are the equivalent of antichrists. We make ourselves antichrists when we serve those things that are against God, when we embrace those things that are against God. You know, if I were to measure our church if I was to give you a grade of where I'm at, y'all are right there with me, so I'm not trying to say I'm, I'm here and you're down there. I'm up here right now but, and you're down there, but not on a spiritual plane. We're all in this together. I wouldn't give us a very high grade, honestly. I, sorry to say that, but I wouldn't give us a very high grade. We're certainly not like the church at Thessalonica. They were dying for their faith. They were true to the Lord to the end. Their whole life was given over to the Lord. We sing those songs about I surrender all, but we don't surrender much at all. 
If I were to give us a grade, I would, I would put us right there, not at the Church of Laodicea, but just above that. We're like the church at Sardis. If you got your Bibles, I, I'm breaking all preacher rules here. You never introduce a new text at the end of your, in your conclusion, but I'm going to do it anyway. I want to read you what Jesus says to the church at Sardis. Go to Revelation chapter 3. We're going to come back to this again just to, whenever we do get to Revelation. But listen to these very penetrating words and what he says here. I'm just going to read a few verses. And this is kind of my charge to myself. This week when I was studying, and this passage kept popping up, and it was like God was saying, Listen to what you're preaching today. Time is short. The Antichrist is about to be revealed. Times, times as we know it are about to change. There's, the rapture is about to take place. And listen to what he says. He says in verse number one of chapter three, he says, and to the angel of the church of, in Sardis write, these things says he, the Lord Jesus, who has the seven spirits of God, and the seven stars, I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. Really better translation maybe there in our context would be you're dying. You're dying. And I, I know that's not a very good grade there, but I'm in it with you. Be watchful. Be watchful. And strengthen those things which remain. I mean, take, take inventory of your life. How much of your, life, of your life do you truly give to the Lord? How much, what place does the Lord truly have in your life? Man, I know for me, I mean, I'm a pastor. I study the Bible because, you know, sometimes I have to. But, but I got a lot of things that, that are on my mind other than the Lord. And the Lord says, take that which remains he said, take those things that are above, that are still in your life, and strengthen those things before you die. Now, I don't believe you can lose your salvation. I don't believe you're going to totally die. But before you, you almost die, before you're nothing more than a walking corpse, be watchful. Be watchful. I'm coming soon. And strengthen the things that remain that are ready to die. Don't let them die. Don't let your prayer life die. Don't grow weary in doing good. Don't keep serving the Lord. Don't quit. Keep going on even though you're discouraged. Don't let those things die. For I have not found your works perfect before God. You got a lot more to do to be pleasing to me. Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard how by faith. It's by faith. It's in a relationship with God. It's in being close to God. That's how you were saved. That's how you're sanctified. That's how, you're, that's how you watch. Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard. Hold fast to me. And repent of all the things of the, this world, all of your idolatries. Turn back to me. Therefore, if you will not watch, if you don't strengthen these things, 
If you don't take your relationship with me seriously, I will come upon you as a thief and you will not know the hour in which I will come. A lot of people are saying, the Lord's coming back on my birthday. September the 23rd, 2017. And there's star constellations in the stars that are kind of showing this maybe. Uh, that'd be nice. That'd be nice. I don't know if he'll come back then. I'd rather doubt it. But he's coming back soon. He's coming back really soon. And his charge to us is to get serious about our relationship with him. To get ready for his coming. We don't want to be ashamed when he comes. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for your word and your goodness. And Lord, we thank you that, that we don't even have to fear the Antichrist or any Antichrist. Because of your grace. Because of your love for us. Lord, but how pitiful we are if we trample over that love and just, just live for this world and to follow after people who oppose you, Lord, and oppose your word. Or we need to rid ourselves and separate ourselves from these kind of people, these antichrist. Lord, and we need to watch. And we need to strengthen that which remains. Our faith in you, Lord, that's what remains, that's what counts. And Lord, help us all to be exhorted through the, by this passage to, to draw closer to you, to take our service to you more seriously, to love you, Lord, because you first loved us. We just thank you for your grace, Lord. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen.